Hello. So last weekend, Pastor Alan opened up a new series for us called Behold, and from Isaiah 40, he showed us that in the midst of circumstances that are chaotic or uncertain, when we look up from those circumstances and we behold God, it changes our perspective on those circumstances, and it also transforms who we are too. And for me, the way that I'm wired, part of beholding God is looking and seeing specific things about who he is, because I'm a very factual person. I'm someone who prides myself on knowing things. I like to know the answers to questions. I like to be up to date on current events. So something that really frustrates me is when someone makes a really big deal about the fact that I don't know something. And here's how this normally plays out. I'll be talking with someone who's either like a generation or two older than I am, and they'll mention something that I've never heard of before, like the Lawrence Welk show. And I'll tell them, I don't know what that is. And they'll say something like this. You've never heard of the Lawrence Welk show? And here's what I hate about that response. I just said I've never heard of it. And to repeat it doesn't get us anywhere in this conversation. And if I'm lucky enough, that person's spouse will be nearby. Becky, Stetson's never heard of the Lawrence Welk show. He's never heard of the Lawrence Welk show. It just keeps getting repeated over and over. And I just feel dumber and dumber. And I get caught in these conversations with my dad at least once a month. We'll be talking and he'll bring up some famous musician from the 60s and I'll try to keep a straight face, but he'll see that glimpse of ignorance in my eye and his eyes will get really wide and I'll think, oh no, here it comes. You've never heard of Marvin Gaye? No. How could you not have heard Marvin Gaye? I know. And he'll show me this new music. Now I know that my dad's intention is to just introduce music that I've been missing out on, and I'm always thankful for that. We have the same taste in music, but I have this deep insecurity inside of me where if I realize I've been missing some important information, I feel like I've let myself down. Like, I feel like if I had known this information from the beginning, my life up to this point might have been a lot better. And when I read Isaiah chapter 40 and the way that he describes God, I feel like Isaiah is looking at me through these words and he sees that sense of confusion and ignorance and he says, wait, don't you know who God is? I've been a Christian for over 20 years. How can I not know who God is by now? But take a look at some of the verses that Pastor Allen took us through last week. In chapter 40, verses 14 through 18 say, whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and they are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? All the power in the world combined, all the power that we can surmise is like nothing to God, less than nothing. It's emptiness, it's void. And compared to God, look how we're described in verse seven. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Compared to God, we are so fragile and insignificant, we're like grass. All God has to do is exhale, and we're gone like that. 
And then 25 and 28 say this, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is what really gets me. This says we don't even have the capacity to understand who God is. He is so far beyond our limitations, we don't even have a frame of reference to compare him to. I don't like this, but we don't have the ability to understand the fullness of God. And what this means is if we picture God as anything less than this, if we picture him as the mild-mannered bearded man in the clouds, we've got it wrong. I decided to Google God, and this is the first image that came up. This is actually on God's Wikipedia page. I'm, <laughs> I'm scared to read it. I really am. I don't think I will. God does not look powerful in this picture. He looks like I do when a wasp lands on my food. It's just like, <laughs> I feel so powerless in that moment. But I have to be really honest with you, when I'm praying, the picture that I have of God in my head is a lot closer to that than it is to this. The problem that this creates for us is if we don't have the capacity to understand God, how are we going to know him? How are we going to be able to know who God is if we can't even understand him? In six weeks, I'm going to become a dad, and it's really scary to say that out loud. Six weeks is not a long amount of time. I learned how to put a car seat in the car today, and that really kind of made it real for me. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're wondering, I wonder if Stetson thinks that he's going to get as much sleep once the baby comes. I better tell him he's not, just in case, but I want to reassure you, this information has been passed on to me many times already. It's no longer necessary, I'm fully convinced, and yes, I am enjoying all the sleep that I'm getting right now while it lasts. But you guys have been giving me a lot of great advice, and my wife too, but the biggest question I've been asked is, are you ready? Of course I'm not ready. How can I be ready for parenthood? I do not have the capacity to understand the fullness of what it is to be a father. The truth is we can line every one of you up in this room that's a parent and you could get all the time that you wanted to explain to me what a parent is. And by the time we got through the whole line, I still would not fully understand what it is to be a parent. That's something I'm gonna have to experience for myself. And the truth is, we don't have the capacity to understand who God is. We just don't. The closest that we could get is experiencing God with our own eyes and seeing him. But therein lies another problem, because Isaiah, he saw God with his own eyes. And this is how he described that encounter. In Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in the train or the very edge of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. 
I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saw God and immediately wished that he hadn't. I don't know if you've ever walked into the wrong public restroom before, but you're immediately filled with the sense of, I don't belong here. I need to get out of here. For Isaiah, it was that, but so much more. When he saw the full power and holiness of God, he didn't just want to leave. Isaiah wanted to die because he saw who God was. And then he looked at himself and he realized that he didn't deserve to be anywhere close to God. It was such an offense. He felt as though he needed to die. If all of us here just got swept into the throne room of God right now, we wouldn't be filled with confusion or peace. We would be filled with overwhelming fear. Not like fear of spider fear, but like fear of something that you have this reverent respect of its power, its immense power. But that creates another problem for us because if a greater understanding of who God is leads us to a greater sense of fear, how are we supposed to get close to him? Because normally the natural reaction to something that you fear is to distance yourself from it, not get closer to it. If you're walking through a neighborhood and you pass by this fence and on the other side of a fence, a dog came running up to you and just started barking in that way where they show all of their teeth and you size this dog up and you see he could just tear your arm off if you gave him the chance. That fear that stirs up inside of you does not compel you to develop a relationship with this dog but it reinforces the fact that there is a needed separation here. You are not meant to belong on the same side of the fence. He has his fence and you have your side of the fence. When I was about 12 years old, my dad, he took me uh, up to Wyoming to visit a friend of his and his friend, he works on train engines or locomotives. And there's this big warehouse up there that he took us into. And we were the only ones there. We had free reign of the place. So he let us just explore everything. He said we could walk under the trains and in them and even on top of them. So I'm climbing on top of this massive black locomotive. This thing is huge. The wheels alone are about seven feet tall. This thing is so big that it just rests maybe three or four feet below the ceiling of this massive warehouse. So I climb on top of this thing and I'm walking along the upper back of it, kind of like looking at all the details and looking down into the smokestacks. And there's this moment where I begin to lose my balance a little bit and I reach my arm out like this because there's this big metal beam right above me. But I stick my foot out and I stabilize and, and I climb down off of this train. And I go and I see my dad and his friend and he says, oh, I forgot to tell you something. Stay away from those beams on the ceiling. There's about a thousand volts of electricity flowing through them. If you touch it, you are gone. I was this close to dying and I didn't know it. But as soon as I knew the power flowing through this beam, I feared it. And because I feared it, I stayed away from it. I didn't get anywhere close to those things after that. And when Isaiah experienced God, he feared him and his reaction was to distance himself from God. He said, woe is me. So not only is God beyond our understanding, but if we were to experience him in his full power and holiness and see in as much detail as we could who he was, it would cause us to want to distance ourselves from him because of the fear that was stirred up inside of us. If this is God, 
how are we supposed to have a relationship with him? How are we supposed to connect with him? How are we supposed to relate to him? Well, Isaiah tells us in verse 11, and the way that he does is, it says this, chapter 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He will be our shepherd. He will tend to us. He will gather us. He will carry us. He will lead us. If a shepherd sees that his flock is hungry or thirsty, he provides them with food and water. If he notices that one of them wandered off, he goes out and he brings them back. If they're walking along and he sees that one is too weak and tired to keep up, he doesn't leave them behind, but he grabs them and he carries them himself. And by the end of the day, the shepherd leads his flock to a place where they can find rest and peace and be safe and secure. And what God says here is, I will be your shepherd. I am aware of your needs and I will tend to them. If you wander off, I will go and bring you back. If you can't go on, I will lift you up and carry you. I am leading you to places of peace and rest. When we take into account who God is, this is astounding. This is unbelievable and totally unexpected because the all-powerful God has chosen to be our shepherd and he is not just communicating to us how he's going to treat us. This is a deep value statement of love and affection towards us. He calls us sheep. And that might not sound like much to you, but remember, we were grass, so fragile, just an exhale would cause us to just disappear from existence. But here he says, to me, you are sheep, and I am your shepherd. A shepherd is devoted to his sheep, and here God is saying, I am devoted to you. These are not fleeting words or ones to be missed. These are words of deep love and affection. These are like wedding vows. From spring to about fall, my wife and I's fridge is nearly covered in wedding invitations. We get invited to so many weddings, and some of them we wouldn't miss for the world, but others, we check to see if there's a meal involved before we RSVP, and you do this too. You're laughing because it's true. But we go to so many weddings and they tend to just blur together over a while. But every once in a while, there's a wedding that stands out. And for me, it's never the food or the venue that makes it stand out. For me, it's the way that the groom looks at the bride when she's coming down the aisle. And everyone witnessing this realizes that something holy is about to happen here. So the bride makes her way up and they meet and he reaches into his jacket pocket and he pulls out a piece of paper and he starts to read his vows. And I'm talking about the kind of vows that make all the husbands in the room feel uncomfortable. And they begin to sink in their chairs because they realize they've become lazy and complacent in their marriages. And they can just sense the discontentment stirring in their spouse sitting next to them. And they're preparing themselves for the drive home where they're gonna talk about the things that they don't do as a couple anymore. So the groom, he's reading these vows and line after line, you see, he did not find these on the internet but they are deep and they are personal and they are intimate, so intimate that you wonder if you should even be listening to these words. And as he reads them, you can tell they come from years of love and affection towards his bride. And his voice is shaking. He can hardly get through them. 
And when he stops and he wipes his eyes, the whole place is silent. The pastor, the bridal party, the bride, even the flower girl, everyone is just silent for just a moment because they are in awe of what just took place. That is what verse 11 is. I will tend to you like a shepherd. I will gather you in my arms. I will lift you up and carry you. I will lead those of you that are with young. God is beyond our understanding. And he's beyond our capacity to experience in the fullness of who he is. But he defines our relationship with him in a way that we can understand. And the way that he does is astounding. He will be our shepherd. And that is beautiful. And that is romantic and poetic. But to really understand this, we must never, ever forget that God is not a shepherd. At the time that this was written, a shepherd was a human being who had the profession of taking care of sheep. And this was normally a position held by someone who was poor or unskilled at the time that this was written. So what can a shepherd do when our marriage is falling apart? What can a shepherd do when we lose our job or when news comes back from the doctor and it's not good? See, we cannot make the mistake of picturing God as a shepherd because he is not a shepherd. He does not say he will tend to us as a shepherd. He says he will tend to us like a shepherd, but he is still God himself in all of his power. The chief example of this is Jesus, the son of God who is present from the beginning of creation. He became a human being, but it would be a mistake to think of him as just a human being because he is still God himself in all of his power. And when Jesus was a human here on earth, he perform the very tender and human and fragile act of dying for us. But it was in the full power of God that he came back from death and rescued us from our sins. God has the ability to show us the tenderness of a shepherd, but when he does, he doesn't hold back an ounce of his power. Verse 12 says that the entire universe rests in the palm of his hand. From here to here, he doesn't need two, he just needs one, which means we're somewhere right about here. And when we're living paycheck to paycheck and we get hit with a bunch of debt, or when we get the sense that we might lose our job soon, and we go to God asking for help, it isn't a shepherd that tends to our needs, but it is God who holds the entire universe in one hand that responds to our needs. When we've walked away from God and we're just helplessly sinking into a lifestyle or an addiction that is just sucking us dry and we turn back to God and we plead for help, it isn't a shepherd who comes out to get us, but it is God himself who reaches out to bring us back. When we are crippled by depression or when we are heartbroken with tragedy or loss of something or someone and we cry out to God, it isn't a shepherd that lifts us up and carries us, but it is God who holds all things together that lifts us up and carries us himself. When we are discouraged or even terrified by the direction that the world is going or that the country is going, and we look ahead of us to see who's leading us, it isn't a shepherd who's leading us, but it is the all-powerful God who is leading us to places of peace and rest and security. This is astounding. And sometimes the hardest part of this to grasp isn't coming to terms with the full power of God. But sometimes it's the question of why, 
would God in all of his power show love and affection to something as insignificant and broken as me? But God does not want us to only behold his power. God wants us to behold the love that he has for you. And when something of immeasurable power shows love and gives value to something insignificant, that is a love to behold. When a little girl cradles a doll like a baby, it's sweet and it's tender and it's loving, but conjure to mind the picture of a grayback gorilla with those huge shoulders and those fists. If you were to stand down one of these things in a jungle, you would not survive the encounter. The sheer power and ferocity of an angry gorilla is terrifying. But to watch a creature of such power show the same amount of love and affection towards one of its young, that is something to behold compared to that little girl. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we got invited over to someone's home for dinner. Uh, she had met them and I never had. And this had been a rough week for me. I had been overwhelmed and stressed out and anxious. Life was just starting to get a little bit too much out of control, a little too busy. And I've been wrestling with this for a while. And we get to this family's home and they invite us in and we walk into the living room and I am just awestruck. In their living room, they have these massive picture windows, and outside of them were the mountains. And behind the mountains, the sun was setting and reflecting light off of this lake into this room. And to see the sun, this massive ball of flame, a million times larger than the earth, giving off this gentle, warm light and warmth that just completely filled this room was beyond description. I felt like God was showing me two things. The first thing was, behold, I am God. This is me doing this here. But the second thing was, I felt like he was just embracing me and saying, it's okay, I've got you, I'm here. In that moment, I had to look away because I was about to turn into this emotional wreck and I just met these people and that would have been awkward. But in that moment, I felt the loving tenderness of a shepherd, and that shepherd was God. If Isaiah was to ask us, don't you know who God is? I believe the most honest answer is no. Of course we don't. I don't have the capacity to fully understand who God is entirely. But if he was to ask a different question, don't you know who your shepherd is? We can say yes. The Lord is my shepherd. If you ever have any doubt of the love that God has for you, think about that. God, who holds the universe in one hand, entered it and died for you. God made the choice to be your shepherd, and he chose you to be his sheep. The wedding vows have already been read. Behold the love of God. The Lord is your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, it is so clear that you are just 
far beyond our capacity to understand. You are so incredible and transcendent and powerful that we don't have the means to grasp all of that. And we are in awe of that and we behold that. But the other thing that is clear here is that compared to you, we are just so small and insignificant and undeserving. But you have chosen to make us your sheep and you have chosen to be our shepherd. So Father, as we come to worship you right now, we come in awe of who you are, but we also acknowledge that you don't love us because we deserve it or because we've done something to earn that from you. You love us because it's loving, because we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. So as we worship, God, we shake off any idea that you don't love us right now in this moment because of something that we've done or because of who we are or because we consider ourselves invaluable. We just shed that idea right now and we embrace the fact that you are our shepherd and we are your sheep and you have an immeasurable amount of love for us. So we stand beholding that love and embracing it and we thank you for it.